The History of Spelunks, or How I Met Professor Spelunks, by Mr. Sudo. There is a town nestled in a quiet corner of the Yoyan Mountains on Yoyan Isle. It is a colorful town and a happy town. It is the town where I was born. The streets are paved with cobblestones and every building is painted a different color. Pine trees tower above the rooftops and the delicate smell of pine wafts through the quiet streets. The king of this town was getting very, very old and he decided that he must appoint a successor to his throne for he had no children. When I was still young, the king and his council announced the great games, the contest to choose the next king or queen of the town. Naturally, there was much excitement in our little town during the weeks prior to the great games. Preparations were being made. People were practicing the events. A great feast was being prepared. The streets were alive with talk and activity. The taverns were filled with old men bragging about their daughters and sons. Blue and yellow banners were hung across the sky, announcing the coming of the games. Maids and servants gossiped in the back rooms of the castle, and as the great games came closer and closer, the city's inns began to overflow with business and joviality. Our little town was quickly growing into a metropolis. Where was I during all this? For the most part, I was working hard in the local smithy. I was apprenticed to the town blacksmith. When all the excitement went on around me, I busily forged the tools, decorations, horseshoes, javelins, armor, and equipment that would be used in the games. And since I was too young to participate in the games, it was my duty to help the master smith. But even the master smith was too caught up in the excitement to get much work done. I found myself alone in the smithy many afternoons while the master smith relaxed and gossiped in the local taverns. It was on one of those busy afternoons that something odd happened. I was busily hammering and shaping a helmet. The room glowed red with the fire from the kiln. Sweat poured from my skin as echoes of metal beating on metal bounced from wall to wall. The mouth of the kiln was stretched wide like the jaws of a dragon, and suddenly white sunlight flew into the room. I turned, and there, framed in a shroud of white light, was the silhouette of an enormous figure. I lost a breath and paused before I responded to this dramatic entry. I'm sorry, sir. You startled me. How can I help you? Without saying a word, the strange figure took a quick step inside and closed the door behind him. This startled me even more, and I stepped backwards, knocking over a bucket of water. You are very young to be a blacksmith, he said abruptly as he strode toward me. In the dim light, I could see him more clearly. He wore a black robe that reached from his neck to the ankles of his black boots. A fanciful hat was perched on his head, and his face was covered with a black mask. Who are you? I asked with a shaking voice. I go by many names, but you may call me Count Alexander. He answered with a voice of iron as his eyes flashed through his mask. Now that I have answered your question, you can answer mine. Are you the Master Smith? No, Your Excellency. I, I'm only his apprentice. My name is Sudo. I'm sorry, but the Master Smith is currently... Never mind about the Master Smith. It is you I am looking for. I have heard that your skill exceeds your master's. I stood as still as stone, not knowing how to answer. I can see that you are modest about your skills, Mr. Sudo. Regardless, I want you to create for me a masterpiece. A masterpiece, I replied. What do you mean? Are you aware of the order of the great games? Yes. 
Are you aware of that most vital contest which will decide the winner out of the finalists? And without waiting for a reply, he pointed to the sky and announced, The final contest is Yodel Toasters, and the rules state that every participant must supply his or her own toaster. Do you have a toaster? I asked. Yes, 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 he said, looking perturbed, but I don't have a masterpiece. I waited while he quickly stepped within an inch of my face. In a low, quiet tone, he said, I want you to make me the greatest toaster ever, the toaster that will help me win the games and make me king. A shiver of excitement ran down my spine. This masked count was providing me with the greatest challenge of my life. This mysterious man in black was daring me to create a toaster that shined like the sun, a toaster that, that, that cooked toast to perfection, a toaster whose coils gleamed with pure orange heat. This stranger wanted me to craft the perfect toaster. I could not refuse. I swallowed hard, looked him in the eyes, lifted my chin, and said, I will do it, and you will be king. A smile spread across his uncovered mouth as he stood tall and strong. Thank you, kind Pseudo. Here is a bag of gold for now. When the toaster is finished, I will give you another bag of gold. He threw me a small velvet pouch, bowed gracefully, spun, and left the room before I could thank him. The next three nights were sleepless. I spent my days working on my usual jobs while I spent my nights creating the masterpiece that the masked man had ordered. My eyes hung heavy with the monotony of the day, but I came awake at night. I sweated and labored for hours in the stillness, and slowly, under the hot forge fire, the toaster began to take shape. And three days later, a masterpiece stood before me, glittering in the firelight. Its silver casing was formed and contoured to perfection. Light seemed to dance on its surface like the surface of a crystal lake. Its ebony lift lever glided like ice, its lift spring taut, waiting to release its bound power. The fire behind me began to die as I slumped lower and lower into my chair, admiring my creation as I fell into sleep. And soon I was dreaming of toasters. I dreamed that my toaster was in front of hundreds of smaller toasters, and they were all cheering and applauding my toaster. And my toaster walked to the front of the castle and sat in the king's throne. A smaller toaster approached my toaster and placed a crown upon his head. The crowd cheered again, and I fell deeper and deeper into sleep. Mr. Sudo! What? I cried as I jumped out of my chair, waking suddenly. And there in front of me stood the masked Count Alexander. It was still night, and tiny stars peeked through the cracked door. The furnace had died down to a more reddening shimmer. I see that you have finished my toaster. He took a fresh piece of bread from beneath his cloak and dropped it into the machine. I waited with bated breath. A moment later, the toast jumped high into the air. He caught it and took a bite. Perfect, he whispered, and I sighed with relief. Except, he continued, I am left-handed, and this is a right-handed toaster. For a moment, a flash of fear pulsed through my veins, and then I suddenly thought of an old blacksmith's maxim. If you can't fix it, feature it. <laughs> no, Your Excellency, I replied. This toaster is right-handed and left-handed. As I said this, I picked up the toaster and turned it the other direction. Very clever, Mr. Sudo. I see why they call you a master of the craft. He paused and picked the toaster up, as if to examine it more closely. He looked startled and said, Well, this toaster is heavy. Why, it must weigh fifteen pounds. 
You are right, Your Excellency, I answered with a slight bow of my head. But you will find that this toaster is more powerful than any toaster that exists on this planet. An active matrix heating element expresses a more controlled heat, which will cause your toast to cook faster. In addition, the use of a lead-acid battery, instead of the conventional nickel-cadmium, in association with the intelligent power management operations, will give you much longer and more consistent battery life. Very good, Mr. Pseudo, very good. Now, here is the rest of the money I promised you, he said, as he handed me another velvet bag. I bowed again, and when I looked up, both the toaster and the masked man were gone, and a chill wind whistled through the half-closed door of the smithy. The great games were a week away, and I worked hard in the smithy at all the odd jobs while the preparations went on around me. I never saw the masked count, and sometimes I began to wonder if it was all just a dream. The week passed slowly, and each day I grew more excited, thinking of the games and thinking of Count Alexander. When the feast day arrived, I could hardly suppress my excitement. The bells of the church rang loudly in the morning, and everyone gathered in the town square and surrounding streets for the opening feast. Tables were set in every place where there was a bit of room, and in some places where there was no room, and every table was a different color. People were everywhere, even on the rooftops. Men and women were dressed in the finest and brightest clothes. Children scampered and laughed. Banners and colored string fluttered from every building, and jest rose from the town as a chorus. The smell of food was delicious. Roasts and hams and honey cakes and pies. Ah, sweet milk and turkey and cheeses from every capital. Apple cider and bacons and waffles and hot maple candies and everything else that you consider wonderful and delicious. It was all there. The smell spread into every corner of every room of every house, and no one could stay away. But someone did stay away, the mysterious Count Alexander. I looked for him all morning, but he was nowhere to be found, and I began to fear that he was just an illusion, or maybe he had changed his costume so I would not know who he was. So I looked for someone who was tall, but there was no one as tall as the Count. Surely he would come to the feast, I thought, but I saw no one like Count Alexander. So I ate and enjoyed myself, but always with one eye searching for the count. The feast ended in the afternoon, and it was the time for the calling of the contestants. The king stood on a stage in the corner of the square with his arms around the shoulders of two assistants. His long white beard nearly touched the ground. He turned to the assistant on his right and mumbled something into his ear. The man held the king's right hand high in the air, and the crowd settled down into silence. The king whispered something else into the man's ear, and the man nodded his head and said to the audience, His Royal Highness wishes to have the contestants of the great games called forward. There was a general murmuring in the crowd as the king was helped back down in his chair. A large man in blue, holding a very long list, walked forward. He put on a pair of tiny spectacles, and the crowd was quiet. Aaron, he yelled, and then, Abbot, Abdul, Abibi, Abel, Abelard, Abigail, Abner, Abraham. And one by one, men and women began to come to the front of the square. At certain names, the crowd would start to applaud, and the man who was calling names would have to raise his hand in a quieting gesture. He would say, If you aren't quiet, we're going to have to cancel the entire contest. Everyone knew this wasn't true, but they tried to obey him nonetheless. Adler. Adriana, Agatha, Ahmed. A shiver ran down my spine as I realized that the name Alexander would be called soon. 
I shifted to the edge of my seat. Aiken! Eileen! Alan! A lump rose to my throat. Alburn! Alberta! Alcott! I held my breath. Aldwin! Alec! Alegia! My heart froze. Alfred! What? Alfred? What about Alexander? Alexander comes before Alfred, and there was no Alexander. And then suddenly I remembered that he called himself Count Alexander. I waded through the seas just as anxiously, but I was disappointed. Eventually the entire list was read, and a crowd of hundreds stood before us. The king grinned, and the man with the glasses drank a big glass of water, rubbed his throat, and sat down. There was no Count Alexander. I slouched in my chair, disheartened and disappointed. All of my work on the masterpiece was in vain, a toaster that would never see the competition. This false count had made a fool of me and my craftsmanship. I put my face into my hands and blocked out the spectacle around me. I had never been so disappointed. I began to cry, and I hid my tears with my hands. And suddenly, amidst my self-pity, I noticed something very peculiar. The crowd was gasping. At first I thought something had happened to the king. I looked up at him. His eyes were wide, his mouth had dropped open, and his hands were clenched around the arms of his chair as he stared toward the sky. I glanced at the man who wore the small glasses, and he also looked toward the sky. "'What is that thing?' I heard someone beside me ask anxiously. He pointed to the sky with a rigid arm. In fact, all around me, men and women, boys and girls, dogs and cats, all looked to the sky with supreme curiosity. I took all this in instantly and stared toward the sky with the rest of them. High above the trees drifted a gigantic red and yellow ball. Every moment it seemed to become larger and larger, and it was slowly descending down towards us. Soon everyone stared in silence as the thing moved toward the city square. As it came closer, it was obvious that the ball was a huge balloon with a basket attached. A man dressed in black stood in that basket. Before the balloon touched the ground, this man jumped out of the basket and landed on the ground beside the group of contestants. It was Count Alexander. He jumped onto the platform where the king sat, and as he did, the balloon went soaring back into the air. The crowd gasped again. The king sat still with a wary look in his old gray eyes. The count looked majestic, and I smiled as he bowed low before the king. Suddenly the king seemed a little more comfortable. I offer you a gift, your royal highness, said the count with a voice that boomed. The king nodded his head slightly, and the count held out a copper case. One of the king's assistants brought the strange gift to the king. It is a lizard, your highness, a reptile from a land across the ocean. The king showed his approval with a friendly nod, but the crowd released a corporate, Ah, and the man beside me said, The strange masked man has been across the ocean? With this, the Count turned toward the man in the glasses and said, I would like to enter the contest. The crowd exclaimed, and the King looked surprised. With a slight confusion, the man with the glasses turned toward the King as if to ask a question. The King creased his forehead and gave a quick approving nod. Very well, said the man with the glasses as he turned toward the Count. He nervously picked a pen out of his shirt pocket and looked down to the list. What is your name, sir? The crowd was as still as a quiet night. The Count slowly turned and faced them. As before, he was completely dressed in black, and his eyes sparkled through two small holes in his black mask. My name, he said, 
is Count Alexander. After such long preparations, the great game seemed to pass quickly. Needless to say, Count Alexander surpassed everyone, and by the end of the week, Count Alexander and Phoebe Fay were in the lead. Count Alexander was leading by a comfortable ten points. The only way he could lose the contest was if he somehow failed the last game, Yodel Toasters. The day came, and the entire town moved out to the Yodel Cliffs to watch the finalists play the last contest. The object of Yodel Toasters was to drop a piece of bread from the top of the cliff down into the toaster at the bottom of the cliff. The toaster at the bottom of the cliff was controlled via remote control by the contestant. In this way, a contestant would be able to move the toaster back and forth to catch the bread. And when the toast shot back up, the contestant would try to catch the toast and eat it before the other player caught and ate his toast. So many people were crowded around the bottom of the cliff that I couldn't see the contest, so I decided, perhaps unwisely, to find a higher place to watch the contest. I knew of a certain place in the cliff where I would have a good view of the games. I climbed there with much difficulty and arrived at my perch in time for Yodel Toasters to begin. The king himself came out for this game. There was much ceremony. The players were announced. There were six contestants, and all of them were greeted with cheering and celebration. Count Alexander walked out with a large black bag beneath his arm. The official toastmaster asked to see the toasters, and from my position on the cliff I could hear and see the awed silence of the town's people as the Count unveiled his toaster from the black bag. When the inspection was completed, the man with the small glasses yelled in a loud voice, Let the final great game begin! Cheers and cheers! The final games continued all day, and Count Alexander was remarkable. The toaster flashed like lightning. He was undefeated in every round of the contest. Finally came the last round, and only Phoebe Fay and Count Alexander were left to contend. But even if Count Alexander were to lose this round, he was still ahead by 50 points. As a matter of fact, the only way that Count Alexander could lose was if he missed the toast altogether, which only the worst players do. He was virtually the winner and the new king of our town. I stood up on the ledge where I had been sitting and began to cheer. Hurrah! I said, hurrah for Count Alexander! Three cheers for Count Alexander! And then I did a very foolish thing. I began to dance. I began to wave my arms and clap my hands and turn around in circles. Hurrah for Count Alexander! Hurrah for Count Alexander! Hurrah for... And this is when the catastrophe happened. I slipped... Suddenly I found myself falling backward through the air. If I were to have hit the ground, I surely would have died. But something caught me. I hit something that seemed bouncy like a trampoline. Hot red light surrounded me, and I suddenly found myself flying back up into the air. A moment later, I found myself in the arms of the Count. It happened too fast for me to know what had transpired. I only learned later what the Count had done to save my life. He saw me as I fell from the cliff. Instead of catching his bread with his toaster, he used the remote control to move his toaster to catch me. He then bounced me up into the air and caught me in his arms, and thus he had lost the contest and the crown of our city by saving my life. The Count bravely descended the long rope ladder while holding me in his arms. He approached the King and set me down. The crowd whispered admiration. King, said the Count, I have lost the contest and Phoebe Fay will be made queen. Yes, whispered the king, but you have done a great and brave thing, worthy of a king. 
Alas, your highness, I'm afraid that I will never be a king. The king looked long and hard at the ground, and the count looked to the ground too. Count, said the king, there is no prize for second place. But the count did not respond. Count, continued the king, you gave me a lizard. I would now like to give you a gift. And the count looked up suddenly. If I had complete control of my kingdom, I would give you my crown. You seem like a worthy man. But there is the parliament, and they don't allow that kind of thing. Instead, I'm going to give you a, a portion of my kingdom. It is a small and insignificant portion, but you may at least go there and call yourself king. And once again, the count did not respond. He stood tall and still, and his eyes seemed to gleam for a moment. There is a place in the midst of the Yoyan Mountains, said the king, where no one lives, and in the midst of this place is a cave. Count Alexander, you may have this place and the cave that exists there. You may name this cave what you wish, and you may call yourself king of that domain. The count bowed low. Thank you, your highness. You are too kind. And then he continued talking as he stood straight and tall. I accept your gracious offer. I will be king of this hidden place, and I will call my domain Spelunx. The crowd broke into an excited whisper. What did he say? asked some. Spelunx, answered others. I wonder what it means, said many. And still others said, Ha, ah, the king has given a fine gift. Hush, cried the king, as he stood to his feet and quieted the crowd with his hand. There was silence. Now, said the king, as he turned toward the masked count, and he spoke loud so everyone could hear, Spelunx is a strange name. What does it mean? And who are you, Count? The king's eyes became anxious and bright. The crowd seemed to lean forward in unison. I stared at the Count with admiration and curiosity. A moment passed, and the tension rose. I am, said the Count, as he slowly moved his hand toward his mask. The crowd was tight, and no one breathed. Professor Alexander Spelunx! And with this, the Count tore the mask from his face. The crowd gasped in shock. There, on the top of that enormous black figure, was the head of what looked like a giant teddy bear. He's a teddy bear, yelled someone amidst the silence, and instantaneously the crowd broke into such an explosion of cheer and applauding as I have never heard. And when I looked up into the eyes of Alexander Spelunx, I was surprised to see him struggling with a sort of shyness. He looked down at me and smiled, bowed slightly toward the king, and romped almost clumsily away from the crowd and into the nearby woods, but not before picking up his toaster. Suddenly a thought came into my mind. I scampered off the king's platform and went running into the woods after the bear. It was not much trouble to catch him, and when I did, he greeted me happily. Count Spelunx, I said. Catch your breath, my friend. You, you saved my life, Mr. Spelunx. I owe you my life in return. Nonsense, he said, with a reassuring and very bear-like laugh. I hesitated and sat down on a nearby log. He adjusted a pair of gold spectacles that rested upon his nose and lit a small black pipe. Count Spelunx, I began, you saved my life, and I ruined your chances of becoming king. Ah, it was nothing. Don't think about it, he said with a wave of his hand. He blew a ring of smoke into the trees above us. But I can't help but think about it, and I feel terrible. You must let me repay you. Let me come live with you in your domain. I will be your servant. Oh, nonsense, he said again. I do not need a servant. 
please. I think then he saw how desperate I was to repay the debt I owed to him. He sat down across from me and looked me in the eyes for some time. The birds whistled above us and the smoke rose from his pipe. Fine, he finally said as he smiled and slapped his legs. You may come live with me, but remember. And he pointed his pipe in my face and looked very serious for a moment. You are not my servant. You are my friend. He then grinned a wide and happy grin, and I think I may have sobbed slightly and wiped my nose on my sleeve. And we then set off together to the cave and the land he had named after himself, Spelunks. And there we built a kingdom and an expandable underground palace, and through the years we have become like brothers. I will forever be indebted to the bear who saved my life. Three cheers for Professor Alexander Spelunks. The end. <laughs>